Welcome back to Chainsaw Matinee. Everybody take your seats. We have such sights to show you. I'm Kai. I'm Marty. I'm Hannah. And it's officially Halloween, baby! It's Halloween. It sure is. It is the spooky month. Yeah! So, for this October, we decided that we are going to focus on the classic Universal monster movies yeah Mm. (laughs) (laughs) was that your monster impression hannah that's my frankenstein for hell yeah bitches oh wonderful well that's the one that we're covering today oh my god the coincidences oh wow amazing i know (laughs) wow yes we were talking about frankenstein so this <laughs> it's I'm not I'm not gonna lie I'm a little nervous to talk about this because this film carries such a legacy oh yeah yeah but I mean, like, uh, we will do our best it's one of the granddaddy of all horror films I mean all of these yeah. are that we're going to talk about yeah, yeah not only that it like punched a hole into the cultural like symbolism for what a monster even is like people who mm-hmm. haven't seen frankenstein know frankenstein yeah you know frankenstein you know what a frankenstein is because like this movie basically gave you the imagery of what a frankenstein is yeah so um i do want to touch briefly on mary shelley's book which uh, I have read. I love it a lot. What? Um, I've books. Also read this is a movie podcast. I never read a word in my life. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> I've read the book at least twice. I've read yeah. excerpts from the books several times, but the whole thing at once twice. I read the book in British literature in high school and it blew my mind. I honestly recommend everyone, whether you've seen this movie or not, please read Frankenstein. It is... Nothing like what the cultural landscape. Oh yeah, makes the movie. Okay, look like. yeah. the movie is so much different than what the book is. Although they do incorporate a lot of like what happens in the book in the Bride of Frankenstein. There's a weird thing going on where like the like they do like part of the movie like or part of the book in the first movie and then part of the book in Bride of Frankenstein. It's it's very strange, but. I think it works for what they were going for, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so the movie is based off of a play. So the the movie is very, very different from the book, but they're both really good. It's just, you know, they're going for different vibes. The book is a lot more meditative and, like, a commentary on the nature of, like what makes someone human about um, a commentary on like science and uh, rapidly developing technology. So, and then I'd say like the movie is more of like a story about out being an outcast. Um, Cause I think like 
in the book you sympathize with the doctor more, but in the movie you sympathize much more with the monster. At least that's my takeaway. Um, yes and no. I think you're supposed to symp- sympathize with both of them, but like, that's just me, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I... well I definitely do relate to both of them, but... I want to talk about this as we get into it. I think there is an interesting shift with um, Henry Frankenstein in this movie um, that is not present or in the book that makes him a much less interesting character to me. I'm wondering if we talk about him, I might find some interest again because they they do sort of shift him into this very Hollywood leading man role after the first half of the movie. He's much more you know, mad scientist playing God role. And I, I find him so interesting in the first half of the film. And then the second half, I kind of lose a little bit of interest in the doctor. But the whole time, I am very invested in the monster. And I, I find him sympathetic in this very strange way that is not as upfront as it is in the book. In the book, like, I can very much feel the book trying to get me to see this monster's plight. Whereas in the movie, I I feel that, but in a much more subtle way. If that makes uh, sense. Well, in the book, he doesn't shut up. Like, the whole thing is him <laughs> just, like, lamenting about how he had to go in the forest and how everyone hates him, and he just, like, will not stop talking. In this one, he doesn't talk at all, and, like, he just... You just kind of get the feeling of, like, loneliness and, like, not understanding why he's even here or, like, any of that, and that's all just from, like, Boris Karloff doing his thing. Yeah. So, um, it feels, like, really silly to break down the plot of this film, because literally, like, everybody knows, right? <laughs> like, you have this, Well, um... you might not, I think the actually, first half, so... I think the first half everyone knows. The second half, I think, there's a little middle part where people kind of gloss over it. Yeah, so, so, it, it veers off wildly after, like, the first half of the movie from the book. I feel like maybe a lot of people are more familiar with the book now just because of uh, perhaps required reading in high school or college. <laughs> um, but like with the with the movie, um, so like you have you so the plot of the movie is basically like Henry Frankenstein, he's like holed up doing all these weird little experiments and then he's like, I figured out how to bring dead bodies back to life and they don't even have to be whole dead bodies. Look at this shit. And then he, like, makes Frankenstein. And then he's like, it's alive, it's alive. You know, like, iconic, yeah. the iconic shit. Um, Which uh, we should make what? a side note, because this is a popular, kind of a meme now. Yeah. Of, um, everyone's, oh, well, Frankenstein's the doctor, and Frankenstein's monster is the monster. But apparently, actually, like, for the movie specifically... They did intend for the monster to also be named Frankenstein, like, after the Doctor. Which makes sense, because, like, you know, if Henry is, like, his father figure, then, yeah, like, Frankenstein would carry the family name, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. So, and I do want to clear that up before so, we have people in our DMs yes. being, like, actually... Um, actually... Like, you, you, okay... Knowledge is knowing that Frankenstein is the doctor. Wisdom is knowing that Frankenstein is the monster. You know, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That. Yeah. Anyways, so during the construction of the monster, um, 
they're like digging up graves and Which, pulling um, dead bodies. Another out interesting pieces. addition to this one is uh, Fritz, not Igor or Igor. Yeah, his name um, is Fritz who in is this the one. Assistant. Yeah. Which yeah. is very Igor funny because actually... like Igor, Igor doesn't show up till like a lot later. Yeah, like. like mm-hmm. The son of Frankenstein, I think, is what it's they either said. son like, of Frankenstein or House of Frankenstein, one of those. But it's like they made so a lot of Frankenstein movies. Yeah, there yeah, have been of several of them, and like after the second one, none of the plot makes any sense because they just keep bringing Frankenstein back, and they're like, uh, let's just like I don't know, have him meet Abbott and Costello, maybe. Which don't you <laughs> love how that tradition is carried on though? Like now we have like. Freddy versus Jason, right? It's like yeah. just is how horror movies are. Um, yeah, ever since like, the this start. shit doesn't make any sense, but we're gonna do yeah, it because it's fucking like, hilarious uh, and funny and cool. Has a child, and um, Jason goes to space. That's yep. just how it is. <laughs> I need Frankenstein in space circle. now. <laughs> one full circle moment that I love was Bella Lugosi was supposed to play Frankenstein originally. He was. turned down the role. Because he wanted to talk and be uh, handsome without well, the makeup. What um, happened actually but- was that Bella Lugosi um, was going to be Frankenstein, but after like there was like a little bit of like some like production fuckery, and yeah, there was so, a different director attached to it. Too, yeah, there was a there? different director, and so they kicked the director and hired Jack um, uh, James Whale, and. Um, when James Well came on board, he didn't want Bella Lugosi to play the monster because he's like, well, we don't want the same guy playing every single monster in a movie from now on. That's just kind of that's just kind of sucky. So he, he kind of just like quietly fired Bella Lugosi and Bella Lugosi was kind of sour about it, but like he got over it. Yeah, and, I mean, he got, he, you know, had good things happen in his career, too. Yeah, so. I mean, like he he was Dracula, like. And then <laughs> he's well, the fine. The original director <laughs> even recast him in a movie that he made later on called Murders in the Rue Morgue. I think the original director's name was Robert Flory. I think um, so, yes. So, um, yeah. And, but it's funny to me that he came back in, like, I think the son of Frankenstein as Igor. And then his brain gets put into Frankenstein. So he does end up playing Frankenstein anyway. Yeah. So, like,. Th- there's all kinds of like weird shit going on with the the Frankenstein and like Universal monster movies because they just like start making shit up and recasting roles, and it gets really confusing. <laughs> um, but the the story about how like James Whale came about Boris Karloff as um like the monster, so he just kind of like saw Boris Karloff like like across the way at at some set and he was like hmm you're very interesting looking would you mind coming in and auditioning for a part and he was like um sure what's the part and james will was like um you're gonna play a fucking monster and uh boris carl was like oh kind of sad because he's like um i look nice today what do you mean (laughs) yeah i mean that would be like a kind of a double-edged sword to hear right yeah. like oh i want to cast you you're like you'd be perfect for this role and then you find out the role is like a monster i yeah. mean i think it would be awesome to play a monster but i can understand like you know 
Yeah, I mean, like reservations about that. So before he even got cast in Frankenstein, Boris Karloff was in like something like eighty movies before this, just as like bit parts. Um, and he was in his forties, and like he didn't think that he was ever gonna like make it really big. He was just gonna be doing bit parts forever. Um, but like this movie, like opened up like a lot of opportunities for him like for just about everything it was like kind of a gift for him so like he he, like obviously he said yes and he was like in this movie and then um he like everyone it was like the one thing that like opened up like everything for him and he was like really humble about it um from what i hear like he he didn't think that like it was gonna change him like him that much and it really didn't because he like remained like this really chill kind of guy um but there was a point where like he was considered for like a bunch of stuff on like like plays on broadway and like some really famous parts and like he took them but he was like i don't feel like i deserve these which is like crazy cuz he's like an amazing actor yeah. no his performance is like what makes this movie like he's yeah. the heart and soul of this film and yeah. uh, i do want to talk later about like some of the like the audience reactions to him um but i feel like we can talk about that a little bit later like i honestly think it might work best just to like touch on like really important scenes yeah um so <laughs> in this movie instead of just recapping the whole thing because it's like really also a very short film it's like yeah barely it's under 80 hour. minutes yeah mm-hmm, it's like an um, hour and 10 minutes yeah yeah so i feel like just overall like the vibes it's not you know plot heavy it's this film is driven by emotions mm-hmm. which i think is probably why people find it so compelling is like film just has like that way of of touching your emotions and uh reaching into your soul and oh for sure yeah well and it's interesting because i saw i i had seen dracula fairly recently and this came after and it's interesting to see what beats are kind of borrowed from that as we start to establish like the movie monster kind of plot points of like you know the the main hero the kind of monster figure the bride who's very worried about her paramour um the moral voice of reason who is literally played by the guy who played vincent uh no not vincent price um shoot who's van helsing van helsing in the dracula movie he's Mm -hmm. written into the plot as like vic henry goddamn the name change is gonna fuck me up henry (laughs) you've gone too far and there is a character named victor in this but he, like, mm-hmm. is, like, a background character. doesn't really matter to the plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I am, uh, like, browsing some of the um, articles about this. So I guess, like, yeah, like you were saying, um, Universal Studios was not doing so hot in 1930. Because this is the Great Depression. So it makes sense. Um, so when they released Dracula in 1931, it, like sold 50,000 tickets which within the first 48 hours of its opening and this is just in New York which is huge like that's a big deal especially back then and like it was making a ton of money and so pretty much immediately Universal Studios is like oh we gotta make more stuff like this 
Um, I love early filmmaking because they're really just like throwing spaghetti at the wall. Mm-hmm. Like, what do the people want to see? I mean, you know, we don't know because film doesn't have a very long history yet. So they're just grabbing whatever they can and uh, seeing what works. And it's really kind of exciting. So this is also like the time where um, the Hayes Code had not been like officially put in place yet but it was kind of starting like um it was kind of like starting to come into effect so there was a lot of talk of censorship for this movie um in particular people were very offended that um henry frankenstein says like now I know what it feels like to be God, <laughs> and people were just so offended by that. And so it's sacrilegious, and the Hays so Code like, is like some... so incredibly stupid. Like yeah, all of the stuff it's that a like very cat. It's based like in Catholicism. Of course it is. Mm, of yeah. course. It so is. it's it's very interesting. Um. So yeah, like a lot of. This is also, like, a time where, like, certain theaters could show, like, different versions of the movie. So, like, some theaters did cut certain scenes, and then, like, some theaters showed the whole thing, and it was just kind of a mess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, a lot of times there, like, that line would have been cut. Um, There's also the scene with um, the little girl. Like, a lot of that scene got cut in a lot of different ones, too, and for some reason that made the movie a lot more disturbing yeah because there is a scene where um the major death in the movie is when frankenstein escapes the lab and he meets this little girl and at first you think they're going to be friends because she's like oh why don't you play with me here's some flowers i throw them into the water like this i throw pretty things into the river like this and then he does the same and he runs out of flowers and then he picks up the little girl and throws her in and she drowns. But in certain versions, yeah. the her being thrown into the river is cut, so all you see is him reaching for her, and then the next time you see her, her father is cu- carrying her dead body through the streets. So yeah. it's yeah. kind of that, Which is the implication is terrifying. very scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, like, we, when you see the full scene, like, you understand the context of, like, it's supposed to be showing that the monster is very, like, childlike. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't understand, like, he doesn't understand that she's going to drown. He just thinks, yeah. like, oh, we're throwing stuff into the water. It's part of our game. Yeah, so and they're like, throwing daisies into the water. And yeah. she's like, look, look, I can make them float. And he thinks if he throws her in, then she's going to float, like, the daisies. And Yeah, because so, like, he's, like, visibly upset when she doesn't come back, like, up to the surface. He's, yeah. like, freaked out. He, like, like has a freak out and, and like, he, runs like, runs away. Runs away. Yeah, it's, it's the like most a heartbreaking really... moment of the it film, is. honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like the most important scene in the film. Yeah, absolutely. There was, like, I think this guy, a... like this creature, who's been put into the world, but his creator abandoned him, so like he doesn't have anyone to teach him how things work. You know, he's literally like a child who just got like thrown out to the streets and like doesn't understand anything. Mm-hmm. So. They were going, so before this, they were actually in the plot of the movie, um, they find that, that the monster is dangerous because he, like, has a freak out when Fritz brings in a torch and, like, tries to attack somebody, and so he's like, well, 
we can't have this monster running around because he's too dangerous. So at one point they're going to have basically destroy the monster. And one of uh, like Henry Frankenstein's uh, like colleagues is going to like destroy of the monster. And so he has them like, he has him like on this like autopsy bed and he's going to like start cutting into him to like destroy him. And the monster like, wakes up and just like strangles the shit out of him and then leaves because like this guy's like trying to hurt him yeah like basically yeah and so that's the point in which he like starts wandering the streets and is like well i don't know what the fuck i'm supposed to be doing here (laughs) yeah and like henry like as soon as he sees the monster like trying to attack you know fritz he's like oh man i made a mistake and, yeah. like, he just, like, freaks out and, like, leaves. He, like, fucks off back to his, like, his family home. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, you just created life. You gotta teach it how to be a person. Yeah. Um. There's also, there is a subplot of, like, the, so when they're trying to get a brain for the monster, um, mm-hmm. Fritz accidentally. Like he accidentally drops the normal brain. It, it like, literally it says this... normal brain on it. Yeah, on the <laughs> yeah. jar. It's literally I feel like a scene from Young Frankenstein, and I honestly exactly. thought that was a parody. I did not think it was so direct. No, it's it, it's incredibly direct. Young Frankenstein has like so many jokes about this movie in it, and it's like incredible. But like so it's essentially ends... the same scene, though. That's what I didn't expect. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, he ends up stealing like. A brain that's a criminal brain. Yeah, it says abnormal like, brain on it. And like yeah, literally while I'm watching I'm like, that, I keep going Abby Abby something. Abby normal. Abby normal. <laughs> I just like it's just like I don't know, it's kind of funny. Like just that image of the jar that says normal brain. Like that feels like it could be a meme. It, it, um but it, anyway, honestly that- it it should be. <laughs> I don't even know if that plot point, like, really comes into play that much. I guess it, like, gives a good debate. Like, you could argue that, like, oh, maybe the monster is inherently violent because he has a criminal brain, but eh, I don't think so. Well, it's fascinating to me because immediately after the monster is brought to life, I feel like they do make this very quick judgment because after Igor, like, chases him around with fire, he reacts by lashing out. And I'm like, this seems reasonable to me. You guys yeah. haven't taught him how to communicate. You haven't taught him how to express his emotions. He's having a very human reaction to danger. And then immediately, like, the Henry's professor starts saying, he's evil, he's inherently violent, and you can't do anything wrong. But normally, he's just reacting to things he's not doing anything wrong there's a beautiful Mm -hmm. scene where henry shows him the light and what light is as a concept he like reaches up towards towards the the sun it's beautiful boris karloff does so much with that one moment and then again fritz comes running in with the whip just hitting him so all this monster knows is violence so is it really that surprising that that's how he responds to the world like when even the little girl throwing flowers into the river he just mimics the behavior so there's nothing really criminal about anything he does it's very like you know just being brought into the world and as a like kind of a blank slate in my opinion well there's also the debate of like the the abnormal brain being a quote-unquote criminal brain based off of like the way that people treated like mental illness and things back in the day so like 
it could just be that like he has a neurodivergent brain <laughs> and like there there there's a lot of nuance there and like what what abnormal and like criminal behavior was back in the day just based on that um mm -hmm. so like he he could just very well be like i don't know a person with autism you know <laughs> yeah that's a good point well it's fascinating that boris both boris karloff and a lot of children who saw this movie were not scared of the monster they yeah. were fully sympathetic to him and his plight and what he was experiencing in the world whereas like you know many adults who saw it were like terrified like the, they literally had to have one of the actors come out and say now this might be pretty scary stuff so you might wanna <laughs> get on out of here but the they're kids like, yeah, well, were like well you've no, been like, warned yeah and the kids were like no this is an innocent creature well the the little girl even that plays oh i'm not even remembering her name from the movie but Maria. the little girl in the movie like Mm -hmm. There are stories yeah. about her being, like, so fascinated with, like, Boris Karloff and the makeup and, like, being really attached to him, like, during those scenes. And, and like, they had to, like, drive out to wherever to shoot that scene and she, like, wanted to stay, like, with him the whole time. And it's, like, really sweet. It's a really sweet story about how much she, like, loved loved him and, like, being around him for that part. Um... And uh, there, there's a little more to the story because, like, she was, like, uh, like a prototype child star back in the day. So, like, her mother was, like, not very kind to her and, like, had her on strict diets and, like, all this other stuff. And um, so, like, being around Boris Karloff, at least, I think was, like, a good thing for her because she like, was able to, like, be herself and, like, being around someone dressed as a monster, it's like, oh, maybe I'm not so, you know, messed up or whatever, or, like, the way she's perceived herself based on the way her mother treats her. Um, it's a very sad story. There's actually, they actually had to reshoot, they had to reshoot that scene because she, um, she didn't sink the first time, and so they... Um, they had asked her, like, we will give you anything if you will, like, they were like, we'll give you anything if you reshoot the scene for us. And she was like, well, I want a dozen e boiled eggs, um, <laughs> because she was on, like, such a strict diet. And, um, they, uh, they reshot the scene and then James Will gave her two dozen boiled eggs. <laughs> um, and yeah, it. It's a really sad story about her, um, but, like, I feel like it's poignant that, like, you know, that she got some relief from, like, her family and her mother just by, like, being around a guy in monster makeup. <laughs> yeah, and, um, I do think it's, like, incredibly sweet that, uh... They said they talked about like in this. Um, we watched this making of documentary that was on our DVD of Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. They talk about like kids writing all these letters to Boris Karloff and like how much kids latched on to this character. Mm -hmm. And um, 
sympathized with him. And I just think that's like incredibly sweet, like that so many people resonated with this performance that like all these people were writing letters to Boris Karloff, like, you know, we like we support you, like we love the monster and like just being really positive. Mm hmm. I think that's also something that I kind of love about certain kinds of horror, because of course it's not always the case, but the the inherent empathy and love and sympathy towards quote-unquote monstrous characters, like there's such a pressure, especially on actors and anyone who is in the public eye to be perfect all the time. You've got to be, you've got to look this way, you've got to act this way in order to be accepted. And I think horror, a lot of that plays on that like he doesn't act any of these ways he doesn't present himself in any of these, any of these ways and yet he is loved mm-hmm. he is loved so greatly or like dracula was like originally a lot of stereotypes regarding like immigrants and europeans and stuff like that and people loved him he became like the symbol of sensuality and i just i think it's such a wonderful thing to be reminded of every once in a while that you know you are pressured to be and behave a certain way and if you break that mold, you are not unlovable. You will still be beautiful and appealing in your own way in in just in people's hearts. I don't I don't know. There's something to it. I might not be expressing it in the best of ways, but like I don't know. There's there's something that's kind of beautiful being reminded that. Like Yes. Yeah, I I, I, mean, I think could not agree with you more. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, there's something in all of us that loves these monster characters because we've all felt like an outcast at times Mm -hmm. for different reasons and um especially marginalized communities i think latch to these characters so i do want to bring up the queer history of this film so the director james whale was an open gay man um Mm -hmm. like which was kind of rare for that that time period like he did not really hide things at all like he was openly dating another man and like was just kind of chill with it. And actually, the actor who plays Henry Frankenstein is also... Yeah, Colin, like Colin Clive was closeted. Yeah, but he was, like, the opposite, like, very closeted about it. Mm-hmm. So I find that kind of interesting. So yeah. people have debated whether or not there can be a queer reading of this film, which um, I think there could be a queer reading of any film. But um, <laughs> Absolutely. I think that that's definitely, like, you could read it that way because... Um, like I said, a lot of marginalized people really relate to these misunderstood, like, monster characters. Mm-hmm. You know, these characters who are, like, social outcasts. I mean, like, the film ends with Frankenstein getting chased to a windmill with, and, like, the windmill set on fire, and, you know, presumably he dies, but there's a million sequels, so obviously he doesn't. Um, I do want to note that James Whale himself kind of denied any queer reading of this film he was like no that's not what i intended he said that his intention was like that he grew up really like lower class in the uk which was a big deal Mm because class is like a huge thing in the uk more so than the united states i would say and so like he related to the monster like as more of a class issue which i did i find that like really interesting too but i think you could read this film both ways like you can read it a number of ways and i I personally like to read this as a transgender narrative yeah someone whose brain is like popped into a body that they 
you know, that feels strange to them. That, yeah. There's a lot, I think there's a lot to be said for that. The, um, the, the line that Colin Clive gives about, like, I made this body with my own hands, and then he, like, looks down, and he's like, with my own hands. And it's like, ah, uh, I, I love that line with all of my heart. It's like, yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, there's something about playing God and building a body from scratch that I do think is is very fascinating. And mm-hmm. kind of yeah, I mean, there's, there's that... also there's a famous like i don't even know where this originated from but there's something that gets told to a lot of transgender people um and like especially when you're like religious trans people who are struggling with like balancing you know their faith and uh, their gender identity a lot of people say well god invented transgender people for the same reason he invented grapes but not wine Mm-hmm. Like, he wants people to be able to indulge in the act of creation and understand how God feels. And I think that's, like, super beautiful. Yeah. Because, um, like, as a creator, like, that, I do think that the act of creation is just an inherently beautiful thing. And I think that's wonderful about Frankenstein is it's, I don't think it's in his creation that the true horror is. I think it's in his abandonment that the true horror mm-hmm. is. oh it's it's definitely the treatment of him that's like the true horror like it this is very much a tragedy about being born into the world and not being accepted yeah yeah for factors as, that like you can't really even control yeah and i kind of want to share this one line because this was the part of the film that stood out the most to me and i i do think fits into the queer reading um and the transgender reading where um the the professor is talking to Henry after the creature has been born, so to speak. And he's like, why would you do this? And there's this line that I wrote down because it was so beautiful and just really impacted me that I do think applies to anyone who steps outside what society assigns you, be it, you know, creating a monster rather than letting God do it or deciding you are not going to subscribe to a heteronormative um, cisgendered norm have you never wanted to do anything that was dangerous where should we be if nobody tried to find out what lies beyond have you never wanted to look beyond the clouds and stars or know what causes the trees to bud and what changes the darkness into light but if you talk like that people call you crazy but if i could discover just one of these things what eternity is for example i wouldn't care if they did think i was crazy and I just, I love that line so, yes. so much. It's beautiful. Um, I think that's a line that, like, wasn't, uh, from what I'm remembering of, um, like, the documentary that we watched, that was a line that, like, wasn't specifically in the script, but they, like, added it in later. Um, but, like, that's, like, the whole point of, like, Henry Frankenstein's character and, like, and, like, even his, like, creation, like, his act of creation gets him in trouble and it's, like, well, if it wasn't viewed as, like, such a taboo thing to, like, want to make life, then, like, it wouldn't be, you know, such a tragedy when he does it, you know? <laughs> And literally everything yeah. is called a sin when it is discovered. You know, the the earth rotates around the sun, the sun doesn't rotate around the earth. Blasphemy! Burn the <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And it feels like that's the reaction to practically every scientific advancement that is ever made. And yeah. I don't know. I think there is people something do not like change. Like, yeah, there's something beautiful about just wanting change and creation in and of itself. But it's, you know, seeing that through like following, you know, making sure your monster is taken care of. Got support system, baby. Mm hmm. Uh, so one other thing that I also want to bring up, um, obviously there's been a lot of sequels and remakes. Um, unfortunately, so Guillermo del Toro was supposed to direct a remake of what? Frankenstein, and his remake got cancelled. No! How many times a are lot they of his rob a us lot of, of his a beautiful del Toro project? Why do they keep doing this course, to him? Just let him make the movies. Of course he was going to... He was gonna cast Doug Jones in the role of the monster. Oh, like a, of course, so nice. That's okay. Oh, we still have jo Doug Jones as a very sexy fish man. So that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we were talking so. earlier about how, like, you know, Bella Lugosi can't play all the monsters, and I was like, yeah, that's Doug Jones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm. Rip to the movie that never got made. It should have got made. Yes. Just, yeah, it's like you can't give Guillermo del Toro every Hollywood project. Yes, they should. Let they should. him make The Hobbit. Let him make The Frankenstein. Let him make The Haunted Mansion. Let him make everything, please. Yes. He would have done so good at that, too. Just, just because he understands so well about the like the psychology of like monster stuff and like the sy the sympathetic side of everything it just would have been so good mm -hmm. the one thing about this movie that because honestly this is probably my favorite classic horror monster movie um the only thing that i don't love and i don't think it's this movie's fault i think the the studio made them do this is after henry goes home he feels like a very stock hero character. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. They do kind of end this movie very that. cliche. They end with a wedding. Like, he still gets married to his fiance, and then the his dad is like, oh, and one day you're gonna have a kid. It's very much like, we have to ensure that the heterosexual couple will reproduce. And this is very much just like a thing that was popular at the time. Is like a lot of old horror movies you kind of notice this they end with a heterosexual couple getting together and then the implication is that they are producing more babies. well you have to appeal and... to the masses the catholic yeah, masses but that's, um, <laughs> yeah it's very of the time and it does kind of go into this reading especially with later films like uh king kong or creature from the black lagoon that like these um monsters are seen as like foreign like being representative of like people from other cultures or countries and like these foreigners are a threat to the safe family dynamic in the american way and um of course a lot of us just choose not to read the films like that um but it's definitely like an undertone there yeah and so most of the movies from this time period are gonna end with like a couple getting married because this was another thing of the Hayes Code is like the movies had to have a happy ending and like any villainous characters had to be punished for their actions. Mm -hmm. 
Um, So I think I did talk about this a little bit in our Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode as I read a really good essay about how like old horror movies were very much about like defending the family and um, kind of promoting the traditional family as like this safe haven and like the thing that is to be desired. But the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like one of the reasons it was so influential is because it kind of turns that on its head and it uses the family as the source of horror instead of like the safe haven from the horror. So Mm -hmm. I thought that like, you know, it just, it's just part of the history of horror and like as you know, the decades have passed and as we moved forward through time, we've we've all um, started analyzing our relationships with our families a lot more because obviously Mm -hmm. that's very complicated and people have a very wide range of feelings about their families. And um, so I, I like that we get to see kind of a more variety with that now. But yeah. I do understand, like, in the 1930s, obviously the filmmakers were very limited. Yeah, in and this was like... Some of the storytelling elements they could use. Yeah, and on top of that, it was this was like, um, like, like you said, it was like during the Great Depression and like World War II was fixing to start. So like, like, this was like not a great time. So they, I feel like they were just like trying to be... Trying to give people, like, oh, everything is normal, everything is fine, you know, like, like, kind of some kind of good feeling, even if they're watching something terrifying to them, you know? Yeah, yeah, with so much unknown in the air, it's good to have, like, at first Victor Frankenstein is questioning all these things, and they're like, I don't know if we're ready for that right now, so let's just say he's got worried and everything's fine. (laughs) yeah i mean in this time period especially like people just wanted to see movies as like a form of escapism more than Mm -hmm. anything and uh, which is completely understandable because the you know obviously the great depression was extremely difficult and had a bad effect on a lot of people um and also like movies were very very cheap (laughs) back then to go see so it was like a, a form of entertainment that was accessible Mm-hmm. Like they, the reason they called it a Nickelodeon is because it literally cost five cents to go see a movie, which is crazy to think about now. I'm like, man. Yeah, I know you gotta pay like fifteen dollars now. Yeah, oh, guys, you only have to pay fifteen dollars. A fifteen dollar Nickelodeon. Oh god, but yeah, and it's interesting. I think this one, like, it still has that vibe, but it separates itself in that the hero created the villain mm-hmm. which is interesting i feel like it's almost the prototype for the threat coming from inside the home because like mm-hmm. he is almost a mirror of henry frankenstein that's Until true he yeah isn't, weirdly in the end <laughs> they, they they talked about this too like a lot of um like of course in like when the first book was like written a lot of people were like kind of treating them as like two sides of the same coin but that became more apparent when um like they started adapting it for like the stage um because a lot of the times when when actors would play like victor frankenstein and the monster they would like 
a lot of times either they would play like they would like swap roles sometimes and like play both sides or they would like wear the same kind of clothes to like show that they were like very similar I do want to touch actually real fast now that you mentioned clothes on like the production design elements of this film. Oh yeah, uh, specifically oh, the makeup yeah. because Jack like, we... Pierce, baby. Yeah, Jack I think Pierce, that's something that we stallion. take for. <laughs> I think we take this for granted nowadays because we are like this. The Frankenstein from this movie is so embedded in our minds and into pop culture that mm-hmm. like. We forget that, like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, a creation of a makeup artist. Like, he had to really think about, like, how to make this creature come alive. Because he could have looked like anything. He could have just looked like a zombie or, like... Uh, but um, the makeup artist specifically, like, designed them to have the square head. Because he thought, like, okay, if they popped a brain inside of a different skull, then, like, they would have cut off the top. And kind of flat. And then just put some like, hinges on it. Yeah, just put some hinges on it and kind of screwed it shut. And yeah. um, the bolts like in his the, neck that are actually like different... supposed to be like electrodes for the yeah. electricity to pass through. Just so many of the elements of this that like, like I said, we just kind of are used to it now. But you have to really think about like being in this makeup artist's shoes and um, creating this look from scratch, and now it's iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I do have a say- quick question, actually. Yeah? Oh, sorry. Uh, so when did... Because this movie's in black and white. So when did Frankenstein's monster become like associated with being green? Oh, um, so they actually... There are um, some color, like, color photos and, like... Um, a lot of the art that was, like, for posters and, like, signs and things were done in color. Mm-hmm. Um, so is he actually painted green? He is. Um, so okay. a lot of times in, like, black and white um, film, uh, certain colors wouldn't show up. So they would, like, use that to their advantage to make things, like, darker or lighter, just using, like, colors. Um, and that's why we also have, like, the idea of, like, the Wicked Witch of the West, she's green, because they use that same kind of makeup because of, like, mm. you know, that kind of thing. And then when they did it in color, um, they just used the same thing, so. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. But it makes a lot of sense. And also, like, you know, he is a corpse, so, like, yeah, green does make sense yeah. in that way, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I, I'm going to add this one more fun fact. Um, so when you look at, like, Frankenstein, you can tell, like, he's got, like, these really half-lidded eyes. Um, and that wasn't something that Jack Pierce originally put in. That was a suggestion from Boris Karloff because he's like, this monster looks too awake and aware and looks like he understands what he's doing if my eyes are fully open. So what they did was they layered up a whole bunch of mortuary wax over his eyelids so that he couldn't open his eyes very much. And that gives him that kind of like sleepy, unsure of like what's going on look and that that was like kind of a stroke of genius on Boris Karloff's part because like I feel like that's yeah. part of like 
like on top of like the scars and like the like metal bits in his neck and like the square head like the heavily the heavily lidded eyes are like what kind of makes him look the way he does you know yeah the collaborative nature of film is so fun especially when like from what i heard the director worked on pretty much every aspect of this production like lighting mm-hmm. uh sound like they just filled in where they could and like you have to rely on each other to get this project done especially something like this that is so sci-fi so horror so ambitious for its time and i I don't know. I don't love it when we get locked into our own departments and there's no communication anymore because I think communication mm-hmm. is where brilliance transpires. Like people just expect actors to stand there and go, Rah! and it's like, no, it's, it's much more than that. Yeah. And I, I love that, that Boris Karloff contributed that. Like we wouldn't have the Frankenstein we have today without the work of so many different people on this film. There's not like one person you can point at and go, well, I guess you could point at Mary Shelley and go, thank you, one person, for Frankenstein. <laughs> thank you and for trying to scare the shit Mary out of Shelley. Lord Byron. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Shouts out to Mary yeah. Shelley. Um, I could, like, I would honestly love to just do, like, a podcast all about her because she had a fascinating life. One of my favorite fun facts about her is that she lost her virginity on her mother's grave. Mm-hmm. Iconic. Like, well, OG so goth. media <laughs> there's so much media coming out about her now as well um like i know there's a there's this movie about her i think and her relationship to um percy shelley and i think there's a show coming out by the riverdale writers which you know oh, what? no gotta see that <laughs> yeah <laughs> but nothing will beat the book the book holds up so fucking well it, it this really movie does. also holds up really well but the book yeah damn. yeah i think that this movie works because it is so simple mm-hmm. um but the book is like the a, a perfect contrast to that because the book is a lot more complex and like um a lot of thinking and contemplating and like bringing up all these moral dilemmas and so um, I think it's really great that we get to have like be- the best of both worlds. We get to have this amazing movie and an amazing book mm-hmm. and a million sequels and um, the legacy of of this story lives on and probably will still live on 100 years from now. I-, I can only hope so. This is one of the most iconic things of all time, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. There's just, I'm, I mean, this movie is over 80 years old, so there's obviously a plethora of history and impact that, like, no one person on any one podcast could ever completely cover. Mm -hmm. So, like, do yourself a favor, look up some stuff about Frankenstein, any of the adaptations. It's all absolutely fascinating and has really become a Rorschach test of sorts. Yeah, it's a great window into like the history of early hollywood also just because so many things about the making of this film are like very typical of the time so if you're interested in learning about old hollywood i think this is like a great gateway because like you can kind of dig into like the production of this movie and then just go from there like you could literally uh, okay so the 
when we rewatched this, I did do a Wikipedia rabbit hole of like I looked up, you know, the article for this movie, and then I would click on like the producers, like um Carl Lamel, who founded Universal Studios, and then you learn about like the studio system, you can read about the Hayes Code, and like it's just a good a good gateway to that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank it's, you both uh for joining me for this wonderful episode and of course thank you to our listeners for tuning in uh stay tuned because we will be visiting some other universal horror monsters um uh, give us a shout out and tell us which uh, universal horror movies you want us to cover um yes. you can do that on twitter we are at chainsaw matinee and if you like what we are doing, feel free to subscribe to our Patreon, which is also Chainsaw Matinee. Um, that really helps us out a lot with keeping our show running, paying website hosting fees, updating our equipment, and things of that nature. Uh, Please. Are hard. <laughs> yes. Till then, do the mash. Do the monster mash. It's do the monster the- mash. Yeah, it's we'll a be graveyard uh, smash. <laughs> um, I guess like the last thing I want to leave with actually is just uh, everybody. It it's October. It only comes around once a year, so I want you all to go out and enjoy it to the fullest. Go yes. to a pumpkin patch, or even if it's just like taking some time for you each day, like take a an hour to watch Frankenstein or um make yourself a pumpkin spice listen, latte. Yeah, listen to a spooky yeah. song. Uh just enjoy this time of year cuz it it only comes around once and I feel like it's always over too fast. Yeah. So this is how sure. I'm approaching it this year. I'm like really trying to just make the best of it, mm-hmm. decorate our house all spooky and um you know, even if maybe like I'm, you know obviously i have work and other obligations but just like trying to live in this moment october is a great time to remember that you're alive you're alive, you're alive! you are alive do something with it do something for yeah. you do something for you treat yourself trick do or treat something yourself. for nathan for you no <laughs> No. Throw some flowers um, into the river. Don't throw children. That's no good. Yeah, please don't Just throw children. Don't, don't throw a child into a river. Um, also, maybe be nice to people that you otherwise probably wouldn't be. Um. Yeah, treat people with kindness. Yeah. And uh, as always, may your nightmares be plentiful. <laughs> <laughs>